Well, hello, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we are pulling a show out of our archives. The show you're about to hear is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 8th of April in 2019. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Let's go. Well, happy spring, everybody. It is definitely spring now. Is it spring where you are? Boy, I'll tell you, the daffodils are up and the tulips are up and the Bradford pears are in bloom and the grass is green and dark and it is just beautiful and lots of rain. <laughs> lots of rain. In the Midwest, you get lots of rain during springtime. But today it's beautiful. Chester's sitting over there with a little bit of sunburn. He had tickets to the opening, opening day. Oh, yeah. You sat out in the sun, didn't you? Well, that's okay. You're, you're, it's not burnt. No, no, you're okay. It, it looks pretty good. It's nice to get a little color this time of year. Well, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Boomer Boulevard Podcast. This is where we actually share memories that we have as baby boomers, especially when it comes to old-time radio programs. We listen to programs that we actually remember from when we were kids, or sometimes we just remember the stars from the shows, or we might remember the television incarnation of the shows, but we remember the shows. Tonight we have an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, which I remember hearing on the radio when I was a kid. We have an episode of The Great Gildersleeve, and I certainly remember Hal Perry and that laugh of his when I was a kid, and then we're going to follow that up with an episode of Gunsmoke. We have a whole lot to get to tonight, so we're going to try to get right into it and get started. So why don't you grab a seat, make yourselves comfortable, and we're going to get started in just a minute.
Well, we're going to get things underway this week with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And the reason we're playing New York, New York in the background is Johnny is taking on a case that has to do with a Broadway star in, you guessed it, New York City. It's a pretty good one. This is one of the uh, five-part Johnny Dollar stories that were popular in the uh, mid-50s when the show was uh, revived with Bob Bailey. One of these episodes would last uh, for the whole week. So you would have a 15-minute episode played every day, Monday through Friday. And usually it was in the afternoon, and then they may repeat it in the evening, depending on where you were. At least that's the way, I, as I understand it, it was done. This was, uh, these were the shows that I actually remember hearing my mother listen to in the kitchen when I was a kid. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, was on like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I want to say. Something like that. It was about the time we were getting ready to sit down for dinner, so it was probably sometime around 4.45 or something like that. I'm sure it was on KNX here in Los Angeles, where I was, and then wherever you listen to it, you you may remember that too. But uh, what I've done is edited out the uh, commercials and and uh, tried to meld this thing together so it sounds like one continuous show. I think I did a pretty good job of it. And so the length on this is about uh, uh, between 45 and 50 minutes. The name of this one is the Amy Bradshaw Map. And it features, um, of course, Bob Bailey as Johnny Dollar and uh, Virginia Gregg plays Amy Bradshaw. So here it comes. This was originally aired on the week of November the 21st, 1955. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, the Amy Bradshaw man. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. George Atkins at Northwest Indemnity. Oh, hiya, Georgie. How'd you like to go to New York, Johnny, and get into the game-mad world of the theater? Thanks a lot, Georgie, but no thanks. I'm not the grease-paint type. I know, but Amy Bradshaw is. Amy Bradshaw? Yeah, we wrote a policy on her a couple years ago. Look, if it's her autograph you want, why send me? It's not that simple. Anyhow, she's got all the fans she wants. I know. I'm one of them. I think she's great. Johnny, looks like somebody's trying to kill her. Georgie, I'll be right over. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. Expense account item one, $16.50. Transportation and incidentals to New York City. I checked in at a hotel and then went over to the Criterion Theater on West 44th, where Amy was starring in a play called The Unguarded Hour. David Coleman, the director, was standing in the wings watching the third act on stage. Let me see, There's no other way. David Coleman? Yes. 
I'm Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator, sent over by Northwestern Indemnity. Oh, uh, yes, Mr. Dollar, I called them. Uh, let's go over here where we can talk. Okay. How's the play going? Well, 22 weeks now. Been going along just fine until this business came up. How did it start? Last evening, just before curtain time, I dropped by Amy's dressing room. She looked, well, strange. How so? Pale, trembling. She was staring at a note in her hand that sounded like some sort of crank note. Do you know, uh, you are an evil woman. You will be punished by sudden death, unquote. Have you reported this to the police? Oh, no. Uh, I was afraid that if I did, it might get into the papers, and we don't want that kind of publicity. I see. How about if I talk to Amy after the show? I told her you'd be down, and she'll talk to you. Oh, good. Well... Um, Mr. Dollar, the strain of this whole thing's beginning to show up in her performance. She's making mistakes, and it rattles the cast, especially the young ingenue, Sheila Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll see what I can do. There's always the possibility that it is just a crank note and that Amy will never hear any more of it. Well, that's what I'm hoping. But we might as well face another possibility. That somebody close to Amy is using the crank note as a cover. Has that thought ever occurred to you? Why, no. No, it hasn't, Mr. Dollar. I waited for Amy Bradshaw in her dressing room at the theater. Fifty minutes later, after the final curtain, she swept in. Oh, there you are, Mr. Dollar. I'd never seen her from closer than the 15th row before, and needless to say, I was impressed. But I didn't have a chance to say so. I didn't have a chance to say anything. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. If you'll just give me a minute to get some of this makeup off. Now? Now. Hi. Hi. I knew it was only a question of time until you ran down. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I get a little overcharged out on the stage. Sure. Listen, it's nice meeting you, Mr. Dollar, and I know why you've come down here, but I think you're wasting your time. Oh? Yeah. This whole thing's really pretty silly, you know. I hope so, Miss Bradshaw. You mean Amy. Okay, Amy. Say, look, uh, how about having a drink with me somewhere? We can talk about it. I'd love to, but I'm afraid I have a date tonight. Could we make it tomorrow, maybe? Sure, okay, anytime. You... Excuse me. Come in. Oh, Mike. Oh, hello, Amy. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you had company. That's all right. This is Johnny Dollar. Johnny, Mike Pomeroy, my agent. Mr. Pomeroy, how are you? What'd you think of it tonight, Mike? Well, they seem to like it okay. Oh. Uh, tell you what, I'll see you tomorrow, eh? Uh, tomorrow, Mike? I've got a few things I've got to take care of tonight. Uh, contracts to go over, you know, th things like that. I... Oh, of course. Well, glad to meet you, Dollar. Uh, night, Amy. Is that offer of a drink still good, Johnny? Well, sure, but I thought you said you have... Oh, oh, sure, let's go. Thanks for understanding. Anywhere in particular? There's a little place right on the street, small and quiet. Good. Oh. What's the matter? Would you mind if we crossed the stage and went out the other door? Oh, no. Why? I think someone's waiting for me outside this exit. Oh. It's sort of a friend of mine, Porter Kane, but... He can be a little wearing, and I'm rather tired. Sure. I could see him through the open door. A thin-faced, rather elegant-looking man in a black Homburg. We went out the other side and down the street to a bar a few doors away. Item two on expense account. Four dollars. Drinks. After the first one, Amy relaxed a little. I wanted to get her talking about herself, and it wasn't too tough to do. There's not really much to tell about me. I've been acting a long time. 
Sometimes it seems too long. I've come a long way. Some people would say up. I hope it is. <laughs> you make it sound pretty simple, Amy. I guess we do what we have to. All of us. I had to act, so... So, just like that, huh? <laughs> just like that. You've always gotten everything you wanted, haven't you? I think so. Hasn't anyone ever gotten in your way? No, Johnny, that's never happened. If it did... It looks to me like somebody's standing in your way right now. What do you mean? That threatening letter you got the other day. I told you, the whole thing's silly. There's nothing to it. Now, that's what you told me, but I don't think you believe it. Okay. So maybe I have worried a little about it. I, I wouldn't have if it hadn't been... Well, it was probably only my imagination. What was, Amy? Well, last night after the show, I felt like walking a little. I went west on 44th Street to Times Square, and as usual, it was crowded. I stood on the curb waiting for the light to change, and suddenly I got shoved out into the street. Oh? Right out into the traffic. I jumped back just in time. You see who did it? How can you tell in a crowd like that? I know. It was probably only coincidence that it happened right after I got that note, but... Oh, Johnny, I, I still just can't believe anybody is really trying to do me harm, but... I guess what's been making me nervous during the performance is staring out at that blackness past the footlights, wondering if there's somebody out there who hates me. Uh-huh. I guess I can't stand being hated, Johnny. I've got to be loved. Look, Amy, did it ever occur to you this might not be a crank out in the audience, that it might be someone closer to you? What? Johnny, that's impossible. Isn't? I don't have many friends. They've mostly to do with the play, but... Those I have are good ones. Who else besides your agent, Pomeroy? How about the director? David Coleman. He's a very old friend and one of the best. How about the producer? Emery's the last person in the world who'd wish me harm. On a dollars and cents basis, if nothing else. He and Dora both. Dora? His wife. I like her very much. Does she like you? Why shouldn't she? What about this man you wanted to duck tonight? The one who was waiting outside the theater? Porter Kane. Oh, he's a sort of a fan, I guess. A little eccentric, maybe, but... He's been very good to me. Johnny, really, it couldn't be any of them. Maybe, maybe not. Look, Amy, I was sent down here because Northwestern Indemnity holds a policy on you. I know. Now, who's the beneficiary? William York. Who's he? My husband. You... Oh, I didn't know you were married. We separated six months ago. What I wanted, he didn't. What he wanted, I didn't. It's as simple as that. Well, where is he now? Here in New York somewhere, I guess. I don't know. He's a writer, sort of. Johnny, I'm tired. Oh, yeah, sure, you must be. I'm sorry I kept you so long. Oh, no, I didn't mean that. It's been nice. Very nice. It's funny. I seem to relax a little when I'm with you. We let that one lay and went outside. Item three on expense account, $2. Taxi to Amy's apartment. There was a car parked two doors down with a man just sitting in it. I saw Amy give it a quick look. Then as she said goodnight to me at the door, I noticed that she slipped the catch on it. I sauntered across the street and stepped into the shadows. A moment later, the door of the parked car opened and her agent, Mike Pomeroy, got out and went into the apartment house. Then I realized I wasn't the only one watching this. Half a block down the street, I could see a figure in a shadowy doorway. I ran toward him, but he took off around the corner. When I reached the corner, he was nowhere in sight. Amy might have been taking this thing only half seriously, but I was real serious about it now. She said she had some very nice friends. 
But I had a strong hunch that one of these very nice friends was out to kill her. Johnny Dollar. Al Sintella down at Precinct Headquarters, Johnny. Oh, hi, Al. Sorry I missed your call a few minutes ago. What's on your mind? An actress named Amy Bradshaw. Amy? One of my favorites. Me too. But right now I seem to be looking for a guy who doesn't feel that way about her. Huh? Al, it looks like somebody's trying to kill Amy Bradshaw. Better come down here and tell me all about it. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, New York City. To the Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. The threat of an attempt on her well-insured life. Expense account item 5, $1.75. Cab from my hotel to precinct headquarters to talk to Detective Lieutenant Al Centella. Al looked about the same as the last time I'd seen him. Rugged, competent, maybe a few pounds heavier. Sit down, Johnny, sit down. Thanks. Something about Amy Bradshaw, you said. Yeah. Didn't know you were a friend of hers. Northwestern Indemnity holds a $25,000 life insurance policy on her. Here, take a look at this note. Amy got it several days ago. You are evil. You will be punished by sudden death. Oh, come on now, Johnny. A couple of nights ago, after the show, somebody shoved Amy off the curb and out into the traffic over in Times Square. Well, the same thing happens to me almost every time I'm around Times Square. You know what I smell in all this? Oh, sure. You probably smell a publicity stuff. I sure do. You think I'd fall for a thing like that? You know Amy Bradshaw very long? No. I've seen her in a few shows, but last night was the first time I'd ever met her in person. If I didn't know you pretty well, I'd say you might be getting a little stage struck on her. Uh-huh. What about the man who trailed Amy to her apartment last night? Oh? Who? I don't know. I chased him, but he had too much of a lead on me. I still wouldn't go jumping to any conclusions. Who you got to work on, for instance? Well, for one, David Coleman, her director. Then there's the producer, Emery Taylor, and his wife, Dora. From what Amy said, I gather Dora doesn't like her very well. Anybody else? And there's her agent, Mike Pomeroy. She seems to be pretty wrapped up in him. Old stable fool, huh? Yeah, looks like it. Also, a fellow named Porter Kane, who was usually hanging around the theater waiting for Amy. And finally, the man I really came to talk to you about. Who's that? Name is Bill York, her husband, but they're separated. Oh? She doesn't know where he is. You figure he might tie in somehow? He is the beneficiary of Amy's insurance policy. Well, I'll see if I can turn up an address on him for you. Okay, thanks, Al. In the meantime, I think I'll pay a call on this Porter Kane. See if I can find out just how good a fan he is. Expense account item 6, 225. Cab to the apartment of Porter Kane in the East 70s. It was an expensive-looking place. I got there about noon, but Porter Kane was just finishing breakfast, accompanied by Chopin. May I offer you a cup of coffee, Mr. Dollar? Oh, thanks. A blank, please. Yes. Now... You uh, came to see me about Amy Bradshaw, I believe. That's right, Miss Kane. I represent Northwestern Indemnity Alliance. They hold a policy on Miss Bradshaw. You perhaps want some sort of character reference on her? You uh, might put it that way. In that case, you couldn't have come to one better qualified than I. You see, Amy is my career at present. Afraid I don't understand, Mr. Kane. Well, some years ago, I was relieved of the sordid but customarily necessary task of working for my bread and butter... The result is that I've been able to devote myself to a fascinating hobby. What kind of a hobby? I collect things. Oh? 
The objects of my interest vary, but uh, they all have one thing in common. Oh? This signet ring I'm wearing, for instance. Yes, I noticed it. Very unusual. The crest is that of the Medici family, Renaissance Italy. The only ring of its kind in the world, so far as any of the authorities on that period are aware. Uh, That uh, vase on the table. The painting on the wall. uh, That sculpture. One of a kind, huh? Precisely. Which brings us quite logically to Amy, who is clearly one of a kind. So? So I plan to add Amy to my collection. Just like that, huh? I'm certain Amy will see it my way in time. And I have time. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must dress for the matinee. Uh, Will I see you again, Mr. Dollar? Yes. You probably will, Mr. Kane. I was glad to get out of the hothouse atmosphere of Kane's apartment. Real weird, this character. And I had a hunch I'd better keep an eye on him. Item 7, $1.65, cab fare that evening to the Criterion Theater. I arrived half an hour before curtain time and headed for Amy's dressing room. Then as I approached her door... You'll listen real careful. I'll give it to you once again. You've been tossing wrong cues to Sheila for three nights now. You've been doing everything you can to upstage her and make her look bad. Mike, it's just that I've been nervous lately. Maybe I have made a few mistakes in my life. Amy, you know I've got plans for Sheila, and I don't want her looking bad in this play. You've got plans for Sheila. What about us? Amy, we can talk about that some other time. But for now, I just want you to understand. You're to lay off Sheila. I mean it. Is that a threat, Mike? Take it any way you like. It sounded like Pomeroy was coming outside, so I ducked around behind a piece of scenery and waited a moment. Then I went back to Amy's door. Oh, Johnny. Hello, Amy. You look tired. I am. I just had a little go-around with Mike. Pomeroy? Uh-huh. I've been fluffing some of my lines lately. He seems to think I've been doing it deliberately to make Sheila Mitchell look bad. But he's wrong. Have you found out anything yet, Johnny? No, not much. I still can't believe there's anything to it. It's so silly to let it upset me. Silly even to give it a thought. Well, try not to, Amy. Let me worry about it. All right. Did I ever tell you it's nice having you around? Johnny. I left her dressing room and started for the alley door, but somebody stepped out in front of me. It was Mike Pomeroy. Hello, Dollar. Oh, hi, Pomeroy. I was just talking to Dave Coleman, the director. He told me uh, he was the one who sent for you. He told me why. You didn't know about the threatening letter Amy got? No, no, I didn't. Look, uh, Dollar, every actress I've ever known has gotten at least one note like that during her career. You don't think this should be taken too seriously, then? No. Amy's pretty nervous these days. And as long as you're around stirring things up, she'll be worried about it. If there's anything to be done about it, I can handle it. In other words, you want me to mind my own business, that it? You said that, Dollar. I didn't. It might not be a bad idea. Funny thing. When somebody tells me to lay off a case, my interest in it always doubles. After the final curtain, I went backstage to wait for Amy. The stage door was open and I could see Porter Kane waiting in the alley outside. So I went over to him. Well, Mr. Dollar, good evening. Hello, Kane. On duty again tonight? Perhaps that's one way of putting it. I thought I might have a little chat with Amy after she's changed. I'm afraid she has a date. Oh? Do you happen to know with whom? Yeah, me. Uh, Mr. Dollar, 
Are you suggesting that I'm to regard you as some sort of rival? Not at all, Kane. I'm just suggesting that I'm a friend of Amy's. I see. Good night, Mr. Dollar. After Kane left, I stood beside the stage door and tried to figure out some of the angles on this case. There were too many of them. By the time I went in, the theater was dark, except for a dim light bulb over the stage, and everyone had gone. Everybody, that is, except Amy. I ran into the darkened theater. She was standing horrified next to the stairway by the dressing room, her eyes fixed on something that lay on the floor. Johnny, I was on my way out to meet you. I heard a swish through the air. This heavy sandbag, it barely missed me. Oh, Johnny! Stay back against the wall, Amy. You'll be okay there. I climbed the long ladder up to the catwalk above the stage where they sometimes use the sandbags to balance hunks of scenery. It was dark up there. I started edging along the catwalk. Suddenly, my foot hit a loose board. I almost lost my balance. A loose board that could have been left for me. And it was a long, long drop down to the stage. Whoever had been up there knew the theater pretty well. Finally, I went back down to Amy. She was trembling. Johnny. It's okay, Amy. It's okay. Johnny. Maybe I didn't take it seriously before, but I do now. Somebody dropped that sandbag from up there deliberately. Somebody is trying to kill me, and I'm scared, Johnny. I'm scared. Johnny Dollar. Al Sintel at police headquarters, Johnny. Yeah. You hear what happened at the Criterion Theater after the show last night? I was off duty when you called, but Sergeant Rogers gave me a fill-in this morning. So somebody tried to drop a sandbag on Amy Bradshaw backstage. Yeah, a real near miss. You still think these attempts on her life are publicity stunts? Oh, it looks like your hunch was right. I'll have a couple of my boys keep an eye on Amy. Thanks. Johnny, you wanted to know the whereabouts of this guy Bill York, the husband Amy separated from... What have you got on him, Al? 768 West 4th Street, down in Greenwich Village. Thanks, I'll check it. New York City, expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. Expense account item 8, 275. Taxi from my hotel to Greenwich Village to try and locate a writer named Bill York, who had separated from Amy six months ago. Amy was a good actress, but she couldn't hide the fact she was plenty scared by the attempts on her life in the last three days. My hunch was it was someone close to Amy, and Bill York was very much on my list. After all, he was the beneficiary on her life insurance policy. I hadn't been to this part of the village in two or three years, but from the looks of it, it hadn't changed a bit. Defiantly shabby and run down. A few beards here and there, a few gals with long, straight hair. Bookstores and bars, side by side. I checked at the address Al Centella had given me. It was a beat-up old rooming house. Here to interview the famous rider, something like that? Not exactly. Too bad. Here I thought you wanted to carry my message to America. No, I'm afraid that's a little out of my department, Mr. York. Amy did mention that you were a rider. I can tell you exactly what she said. She said, you know, uh, Bill's a rider, a sort of, right? (laughs) Well, as a matter of fact... Amy always felt it necessary to apologize for me. 
That was one thing about our marriage that was always so charming. Well, look, I didn't come here to discuss your marriage, York. I don't know what you're so bitter about. It's none of my business. Well, darling, what do I have to be bitter about? Here I am, an artist, living an unfettered life of freedom in Greenwich Village. What more could I ask? I guess I haven't read any of your books. Don't worry about it. You're in good company. You and the publishers. Oh, that's too bad. Must make a little problem in the grocery department. Oh, that doesn't worry me. You see, one can always manage to live comfortably in huck. Oh? And if one is willing to huck his soul, of course the returns are much greater. I don't get you. That's not surprising, because nobody else but me would call it my soul. It's just the manuscript for an unpublished novel. Three years of work and sweat and pain. But my clever pawnbroker, Mr. Pomeroy, has a fair idea what it means to me. Mike Pomeroy, Amy's agent? Charming chap. Quite shrewd. In other words, if you could raise some money, you could get this brainchild of yours out of hock from him. Tell me, how long has it been since you've seen Amy? Several months. Why? You haven't been uptown near her apartment the last few days, huh? No. You sure? Of course. Anything else? No, not for now. I was getting nowhere in my attempt to find out who was gunning for Amy Bradshaw, and I knew it. I called Mike Pomeroy, her agent, but he was out, so I took the next name on my list, the producer of Amy's play, Emery Taylor. Expense account item 9, 175, cab fare to Taylor's apartment in the mid-50s near the Museum of Modern Art. Taylor wasn't in, but his wife, Dora, was. She was sleek-looking and a little on the brittle side. She was sitting behind a small bar in the den, and she looked quite at home there. Drink? Thanks. Will your husband be back soon, Mrs. Taylor? Who knows? Yeah. Oh, thank you. What do you want to see him about? Amy Bradshaw. What about Amy Bradshaw? I wanted to ask him if he knew of anyone who might want to harm Amy for any reason. Oh, I could answer that better than Emery. There is someone? There certainly is. Who? Me. Why? Would you like it if your husband was knocking himself out for your... Well, for a younger woman? Well, now, isn't that part of the business? Is it? That's not all. Amy's hurt plenty of people getting where she is. You think your husband's one of them? I hope not. Who has she hurt, Mrs. Taylor? Do you know Dave Coleman? Her director? He was very much in love with Amy a few months ago. Oh, I see. I don't like to see someone I like get the way he was. One night here, he had a couple too many. He said, uh, if he couldn't have her... Uh... Oh. Funny. How quick he got over it, though. Never says anything about it anymore, huh? Not a word. What about Porter Kane? Oh, you've met him. Is he one of them that Amy's hurt? No, no, he's not in that category. Whatever happened to hurt him must have happened at about the age of five. What do you mean? Oh, isn't that when most of our troubles start? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I once paid a psychiatrist $500 to tell me that's when mine started. Your troubles? Sure. Can't you tell, Mr. Dollard? I'm the mixed-up type. Aren't we all, Mrs. Taylor? I left her, still sitting behind the bar, and somehow I felt sorry for her. But she had given a new lead, 
David Coleman, Amy's director, who'd had it bad for Amy just a few months ago and had now completely recovered. Maybe. I made a mental note to have a little chat with Coleman that night. Then I put in another call to Mike Pomeroy. This time he was in, and I finally talked him into meeting me at a little bar on West 44th near the theater. But when I got there, I could see that he wasn't feeling very cooperative. Look, Dollar, I suggested once before, nice and polite, that maybe you should try minding your own business. I got the message all right, Pomeroy, and now I've got one for you. I am minding my own business. Hmm? This is what I was hired to do. The insurance company I represent holds a pretty hefty life insurance policy on Amy. And if she's in any danger, they want to know about it. But I told you before, I think this whole thing pretty silly. I had a talk with Bill York, the writer, this morning. Even though he and Amy are separated, you know, he's still the beneficiary on her policy. So? So he says he's in hock to you. He's a bum. He wasn't doing Amy any good. She was worrying about him. When they split up, I told him as long as he stayed away from her, didn't try to see her, I'd keep him in groceries. I see. But naturally, I wanted some security. The manuscript of his book, for instance? Oh, great unborn American novel. Well, apparently that manuscript means a lot to him. That's why I figured it'd be good security. What's the matter, Dollar? You look like you uh, smelled something bad. Do I? What am I supposed to be? A philanthropist? Let me make one thing clear, Pomeroy. As far as the kind of loans you make, I agree with you. It's none of my business. But maybe I just got a sensitive note. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, now I want my dough back. Is there anything wrong with that? Not a thing. I've got a play lined up I know will go over big. I want to produce it. York's tab has run up to several thousand bucks now. I could use the money. I see. The stupid part of the whole deal is that York could pay me back within a couple of months if he wanted to. Oh. Sure. There's a lot of dough floating around to be made in television these days. But that... Prima Donna thinks he's way above that sort of thing. This play you want to produce, Pomeroy, will it star Amy? No. Sheila Mitchell. Oh. Well, thanks for the information. Be seen. I doubt it. On my way over to the Criterion Theater, I thought about Pomeroy. A rugged customer. And I felt he was one more who wouldn't let anyone stand in the way of anything he wanted to do. After the show, I picked up Amy backstage and took her back to her apartment. She looked very tired and didn't say much. We said goodnight at the front entrance, and I started walking along the sidewalk. Then I spotted somebody in the shadows across the street again, watching. I could tell from his hat and coat he was the same one who'd been there the night before last. I kept on walking until I reached the corner, then circled halfway around the block to an alley and edged up on him from behind. He didn't see me until I dove at him. Well, Bill York. Oh. What are you doing here? So you haven't been near Amy for a long time, huh? Except tonight and the night before last, watching her apartment. Darling, Come on, York, start talking. And it better be good. Johnny Deller. Al Sintella at police headquarters, Johnny. Better get over here to my hotel room, Al. I've got company. Who is it? Bill York. Amy Bradshaw's ex-husband? Right. I caught him watching her apartment half an hour ago, and he's the one who was watching it the other night. This time, I had better luck catching him. Has he opened up yet? No, but he will. Johnny, take it easy with him. I think he's got plenty to tell us. Looks like he's the boy we're after, Al. I'll be right over. New York City. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. 
to the Home Office, Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. Amy, star of a Broadway play, and somebody was out to get her. Expense account item 10, $3. Repairs to one coat sleeve. Torn in the process of inviting Bill York up to my hotel room. Look, Dolly, you've got no right to drag me up here to your room this way. York, you're going to sit right here until you open up and tell me all about the attempt on Amy Bradshaw's life. What? Here, come in. Oh, Al. Hi, Johnny. York, this is Detective Lieutenant Al Centella. Now look here, Lieutenant, what's this all about? Well, I kind of thought that's what you'd tell us, Mr. York. But this is crazy. Why would I want to kill Amy? You're aware that you're still the beneficiary on Amy's insurance policy. What? Even if also, I Also, am... you need money, and you need it bad. You're several thousand bucks in debt to Mike Pomeroy, Amy's agent. He's been pressing you for it lately. Look, Dollar. And you know you can't get the manuscript of your novel out of hock from him until you pay off. You've got two strikes against you, York. Motive and opportunity. Opportunity? Sure, but motive? No, Dollar. I've never had any reason to kill Amy. It's true she and I couldn't make it together, but I guess that was more my fault than hers. Go on. You see, Amy's never let anything stand in the way of what she wanted. What she wanted, I didn't. I guess we just lived in two different worlds. What do you mean? She's always been a success, and I've always been a failure. You still haven't explained why you lied to me, York. Lied? When I talked to you this morning, you told me you hadn't been near Amy for a long time. But when I caught up with you in front of her apartment tonight, I realized you were the same one who was watching the night before last. How about that, York? You fellas don't leave me much. What do you mean? Sure, once in a while I go stand outside her apartment house, look up at the light on the window, maybe think a little about how things might have been. That's all. Uh, maybe you'd better come downtown with me, York. We'll check your story further. If you're clean, you got nothing to worry about. All right, Lieutenant. Sergeant, take Mr. York down to the car and wait for me there. Johnny, who else have you talked to? Oh, everybody close to her. But the one who interests me most is her agent, Mike Pomeroy. He'd be a pretty rough customer when he wants to. And he thinks Amy's standing in the way of a career for an actress he's currently interested in. Let's talk about somebody else for a moment. Who? You, Johnny. I think you're getting a little bit out of line. What do you mean? Down at police headquarters, we got a little black book. It tells us what to do and what not to do. It doesn't say anything about insurance investigators dragging possible suspects to their hotel room to question them. Listen, Al, when I'm assigned to a case, I usually try to break it any way I can. I know. It's just that I think you're taking this case pretty big. Meaning? Yesterday I told you that if I didn't know you better, I'd think you were falling for Amy a little yourself. Think it over, Johnny. Expense account item 11, $4. Drinks. For me. I thought about what Al Centella had said. The possibility I was falling for Amy Bradshaw. Thought about it for two hours. Finally, I decided I had to find out if he was right. I went over to Amy's apartment. It was good of you to come over, Johnny. I just can't seem to sleep lately. Yeah. I noticed there's a policeman on duty down in the lobby. Lieutenant Centella arranged for that. It's funny. It should make me feel better, but it doesn't. It just keeps reminding me of it. A threat on my life. 
I'm glad you're here, Johnny. So am I. Awfully glad. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but... Do you hear any objections? Oh, well, who could... Excuse me. Yeah, sure. Hello? Yes? Oh, Porter. What? No, I'm sorry. I... No, really, Porter, it's out of the question. No, I... Good night, Porter. Kane, huh? Yes, I suppose he means well. But he can be rather annoying. Do you have a cigarette, Johnny? Here. Thanks. You seem rather quiet tonight. Oh, just thinking, I guess. Funny. Mm. Our meeting like this. Yeah. Just a few days ago, I didn't know you at all. And now... And now what? I don't know, Johnny. I don't know. Amy... It was a mistake, Johnny. I'm sorry. Was it? Yes. Johnny, I'm afraid I've hurt a couple of people in the past. I don't want to hurt you. Don't worry. You won't. And that's the wonderful thing about being an actress. You play so many parts. The kiss? That was playing a part, huh? Even if it weren't, Johnny, it'd be no good. There'd always be something between us. It's right over there on the mantel. The clock? Yes. We can't turn it back. If I'd met you a long time ago before, Mike, or... But I didn't. No. So? Is the clock so bad, Amy? It is to an actress. Sometimes I pretend it isn't there. You ever do that, John? No, it doesn't do any good. But you can try. You can live a whole life trying. Isn't that really what we all do? I don't know. We go along playing our parts, doing what we have to do, pretending the clock isn't there. But all the while it is. And though we keep on fighting against it, we know we can't turn it back. We can't even stop it. One thing I'd accomplished, I guess. I'd decided I wouldn't be seeing Amy anymore after this case was wound up. Winding it up, though, was another question. And I was still as far from home as ever on it. But I couldn't seem to get Porter Kane and his quaint little hobby of collecting things out of my mind. Why, good evening, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Mr. Kane. Come in, come in. Thanks. I know it's late. I'm sorry. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I was hoping I'd see you again. I don't want to keep you. I see your hat and coat. No, there. I'm not going out. I've just come in. Oh. Uh, you said you were hoping you'd see me again? Yes, I enjoyed our other little chat very much. I um, suppose you came to talk some more about Amy Bradshaw. Matter of fact, Mr. Kane, I came to talk about you. Splendid. And about your hobby. Collecting. A fascinating hobby, Mr. Dollar. You take it pretty seriously, don't you? I've devoted most of my life to it. And I may say that I've succeeded rather brilliantly with it. Each item in my collection is incomparable, without equal. Yeah, one of a kind. And that, of course, is precisely why Amy is necessary to complete the collection. The crowning and final edition. Final? Yes. Uh, for your information, Mr. Dollar, when I've acquired Amy, I intend to cease my hobby. 
Oh. She will complete my collection. Without her, though, it is still incomplete. Mind if I ask you a couple of questions, Mr. Kane? Not, not at all. You seem to have been pretty successful with your collection. Have you ever run up against an item you wanted but couldn't get? Of course not. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Has it ever happened? Well, I can't remember that it ever... Yes. Yes, it did happen once. When? When I was nine years old. A playmate of mine had a lollipop that I admired greatly. He wouldn't give it to me, and he wouldn't sell it to me. What did you do? I, I did the only logical thing there was to do. I smashed the lollipop, Mr. Dollar. Johnny Dollar. It's Amy Bradshaw, Johnny. Amy, it's 1 a.m. Anything the matter? Yes, can you come over right away? Sure, your apartment? No, I'm in my dressing room at the Criterion Theater. At 1 o'clock in the... Amy, there's a policeman assigned to you. Is he with you? No, I, I went out the back way. I came over here alone. But why? He's supposed to be protecting you. Johnny, I can't explain now, but I think I finally know who's been trying to kill me. I want to talk to you right away over here. Hurry. Please hurry. New York City. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Home Office, Northwestern Indemnity Alliance, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Amy Bradshaw matter. Expense account item 12, $5. Taxi from my hotel to the Criterion Theater on West 44th. Two bucks for the fare, three bucks for getting me there in five minutes. Amy had sounded plenty scared over the phone. The cab skidded to a stop in front. I caught a glimpse of somebody at the other corner of the theater. It looked like Porter Kane. I couldn't be sure, and I didn't have time to find out right now. Backstage, it was quite dark, and I had to feel my way through some... The shot came from the direction of Amy's dressing room. Mike Pomeroy, her agent, was lying on the floor, dead. There was a gun on the floor, too, just inside the door. Johnny! Oh, Johnny! What happened, Amy? Amy, stop it! Tell me what happened. The door! Door? The the shot! it, It came from the door! ran outside the dressing room across the stage into the alley. No one in sight. Back inside, I found a light switch. So I phoned Al Centella at police headquarters, told him what had happened. Amy was quieter now. Johnny. Amy, look, look. I know it's tough for you to talk right now, but you've got to try and tell me. I know. A little after midnight, Mike called me at my apartment. He said he wanted to talk to me about something important. His office is nearby, and he asked me to meet him here in my dressing room. So I came over right away. Go on. Mike and I started talking. Suddenly, I saw the door opening a crack. A hand with a gun. Mike. Mike! Easy, easy. Mike saw too. He, he dove in between me and the door. And collected the slug. <laughs> fell against the door and it slammed on the hand. The gun dropped. And the next thing I remember, you were in the room. You didn't see who was holding the gun? No, just the hand. Amy. There was something on one of the fingers that I recognized. A large signet ring? 
Yes. Yeah. It belonged to the guy out on the sidewalk. Porter Kane. Lieutenant Centella arrived at Amy's dressing room, and Amy repeated her story to him. He sent a couple of his boys out to pick up Porter Kane. Alan, Amy, and I went down to headquarters. We left her in one room while we went into another to question Kane, who had been picked up at his apartment. See here, Lieutenant, I don't know what this is all about, but I certainly object to being routed out. Just hold it, Kane. You know why you're down here. I certainly do not. You don't know that Mike Pomeroy's dead, eh? Amy's agent? Really? Really. Well, I never did like that chap. Quite an insensitive person. Well, he's real insensitive now, Kane. He's dead. How did it happen? Mike was shot by mistake. The real target was Amy. Good heavens, no. When's the last time you saw Amy? The night before last. I spoke to her briefly after the show. You haven't talked to her on the telephone? No. You're lying. Now, see here, Dollar. You phoned her at her apartment about 11 p.m. I was there. All right. I did telephone her. I suggested she meet me somewhere. I, I told her I'd wait for her outside her apartment. Go on. I saw her come out later by the alley, so I followed her to the theater, thinking she meant for us to talk there. But then I I heard a shot. So you admit being in the vicinity? Well, yes, but I definitely did not go into the theater. Didn't you? Kane, Amy got a look at the hand holding the gun. There was a ring on one of the fingers. Ring? Your ring. She's completely mistaken. That's a very distinctive ring. It's not one that anybody be mistaken about. See here, Lieutenant, all of this, this wild supposition is based on the assumption that I had a motive for wanting to kill Amy. You told me what your motive was when I talked to you last evening in your apartment. What do you mean? I asked you what you'd do if you wanted something for your collection and couldn't get it. You told me a story about what happened when you were just a kid nine years old. But I, I said... Another kid had a lollipop you wanted. He wouldn't give it to you, so you smashed it. And that's what you were trying to do tonight in Amy's dressing room. You couldn't have her, so you tried to smash her. There wasn't much point in my hanging around. So I got Al Sintella's permission to take Amy back to her apartment. We could wait there for any new developments. Amy didn't say a word all the way. When we got there, she sat in a chair staring at the wall. When she finally spoke, it was more like she was talking to herself. He's dead. Amy. He's dead because of me. Stop talking that way. Mike Pomeroy jumped in the way of a bullet. If he hadn't, you'd be dead. Would have been better that way. Stop it, Amy. Johnny. Yeah. I think... You think what? Oh, just a minute. I'll get it. It was Al Centella down at police headquarters. When he finished talking, I didn't say anything. There wasn't anything to say. After I hung up, I stood there a moment, staring out the window. It had started to rain. I felt old and tired and empty and sick. I went back into the other room again. Amy was sitting there, looking at me. Johnny? Yeah, Amy? Was that call for me? No. Who was it? Lieutenant Centella. Oh. The gun that killed Mike Pomeroy. There were no fingerprints on it. You said you saw a bare hand with a ring on it holding the gun. A bare hand would have left fingerprints. You killed him, didn't you? Yes, Johnny. The attempts on your life, you faked them, didn't you, to convince people you were in danger so you could kill Pomeroy and we'd think the shot was intended for you. Why, Amy? You know why. <sighs> yeah, I guess so. You loved Mike. You knew he was growing away from you. Very fast. You saw him get interested in a younger actress. You knew she was taking your place with him. To Mike? 
I was dead. I couldn't stand that. I really couldn't. So I started making it look like I was in danger. It wasn't very hard, Johnny. I'm a good actress. Yeah. After a while, I almost began to believe I was in danger. Something was after me. was hunting me. It finally caught up with me, and I did what I did. Which of us is the hunter, Johnny? And which is the hunted? Amy. Yes. I think one of Lieutenant Centella's men is waiting for you out in the hall. All right. Just one thing, Johnny. What is it? I'll need something now. Something. Don't forget me, Johnny. Give me that. That you can count on, Amy. She walked out of the room, and she didn't look back. I'm glad she didn't. Expense account item 13, $16.50. Transportation and incidentals from New York back to Hartford. Expense account total, $185.20. End of account, end of report. Remarks? Amy repeated her confession to Lieutenant Centella. Her trial's coming up soon. Sweet case. Well, tomorrow's another day. So they tell me. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's exciting story. Next week, a case with a great big question mark. Accident? Suicide? Or just plain murder? Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Robert Reif, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Virginia Gregg, Florence Walcott, Don Diamond, Larry Thor, Vic Perrin, and Carlton Young. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking. That was yours truly, Johnny Dollar, as originally broadcast the week of November the 21st, 1955. The Amy Bradshaw matter. The old green-eyed monster does it again. I, I think I just heard on Jeopardy the other day. I did not know this, but I'm pretty sure this was one of the questions on Jeopardy. Who originated that phrase, green-eyed monster? And it was Shakespeare. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on that, and I know you, you will. You'll, you'll pour emails into me, but um, I believe that's, that's who it was. And 
so many great stories have to do with how people who love somebody just get blind with jealousy and end up wanting to destroy that person. A lot of great songs written about that. I hope you enjoyed that longer format of Johnny Dollar, and I hope I did a good job of editing it together so it sounded pretty much like one show. And we'll do that again in the future. Everyone, it's one of everyone's favorite shows, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> All right, coming up on our comedy corner is The Great Gildersleeve with Hal Perry. This one was originally broadcast on the 6th of November in 1946. So this was fairly early in the run. I think the show started in 41, 42, something like that. So this wasn't too, the kids were still at home and uh, and young. Now on this one, Marjorie is having a pajama party. And you can just imagine how that's going to affect Gildy. So here we go to November the 6th, 1946, the Great Gildersleeve and the Pajama Party. The Kraft Foods Company presents The Great Gildersleeve. Uh. (laughs) It's The Great Gildersleeve, starring Harold Perry, brought to you by The Kraft Foods Company, makers of a complete line of famous quality food products. Well, let's see what's going on at the great Gildersleeve's house. (laughs) Sounds like the wrong house, but it's not. It's a pajama party. The fact is, Gildersleeve's niece, Marjorie, is entertaining three of her most intimate girlfriends overnight tonight, and the whole gang has just finished supper. Hey, girls, you want to see a card trick? No, Leroy. Let me remind you, Leroy, that this is not our party. It's Marjorie's. I'm only trying to help entertain. This is strictly for girls, my boy. You and I aren't even supposed to be here. Well, I got a new trick that's a pip. Where are the cards, Marge? How would I know? Let me tell you about this character. I was walking down the corridor. I think I left him in my raincoat pocket. Well, anyway, I was just walking down the corridor, minding my own business, when this character popped out of Miss Turley's room. And what do you think he said to me? You'll never believe it. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I don't believe it. He couldn't. I'm telling you, that's the kind of character you're getting betrothed. Don't you think so, Francis? Oh, absolutely. How do they do it? <laughs> eh. Girls, what's so strange about somebody saying good morning? Oh, I couldn't possibly explain it to you, Unky. But if you could see this character... <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies, if you'll give me your attention... 
attention, please. Y- Leroy, must you always be showing off? Who's oh, showing off? I'm just doing a card trick. Uh, take a card, Mary Louise. Any card at all. Oh, look out. He's trying to make you take a certain one, then he'll know. Any card at all. Leroy, the girls didn't come over here to see you do card tricks. Oh, but if they... Say, Marjorie, do you know the name of that boy that sits next to Clubby Travis in history? Oh, sure. His name is Al. He's cute, isn't he? Oh, do you think so? Clubby says he's an awful drill. Well, how would Clubby know? I mean, after all, he's... <laughs> oh, Francie, you're terrible. Um, Mary Louise, take a card, will you? Leroy. Uncle Mort, isn't it time for Leroy to be in bed? Yes, by George, it is. Leroy, 8.30, off to Bilo. Hunk, it's Friday night. You still need your sleep, Leroy. But the girls want to see some card tricks. (laughs) Your health comes first, Leroy. Perhaps you can do a few tricks for the girls in the morning. Now beat it. Gosh, every time I'm having a good time. Good night, my boy. Good night, Leroy. Good night. Good night, night, Leroy. Good night. Say, girls... What's on the radio, Marjorie? I don't know. What time is it? Francie, have you ever seen my imitation of a hummingbird in flight? (laughs) It's around 8.30. There must be some music on somewhere. What'd you say, Mr. Gildersleeve? I'll try it. Girls, listen. Did I ever tell you the story of the absent-minded college professor and the tomcat? This professor was very absent-minded, and one day he... What station is Clark Spielman's orchestra? It's about in the middle. One day he was about to walk into his classroom, and he suddenly remembered he'd forgotten to feed his cat. I think I got it. He remembered he'd forgotten to feed his cat. The cat was at home, and of course he was late, so... Girls! Unky, please! Well, anyway, in the end, the professor kicks his toothbrush out of the house and brushes his teeth with a cat. Uncle Mark, we're trying to listen to the music. Oh, music. Well, that's not a bad little orchestra. I like jazz when it's well done. Mm-hmm. Garden of Eden... Just made for two With nothing to mar our joy Uncle Mort There would be such wonderful things to do I would say such wonderful things to you Is he kidding? If you were the only girl in the world And I were the only boy. (laughs) Uncle Mort, would you come out in the hall a minute, please? Uh, Me? Hall? What's the matter? Unky, why don't you go out somewhere? We can't have any fun while you're here. I was going in a minute. I didn't know you were in such a big hurry. Oh, now, don't take it that way, please, Unky. I'm merely trying to entertain your little friends, my dear. If my humble efforts are not pleasing, you only have to say so. Unky, that's not it. Not exactly. Say no more. Say no more. Uh, uh, Ladies, I regret that a previous engagement has to tear me away from you. Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve, must you go? I must. Good night, ladies. Good night, 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 Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, Get my hat. (laughs) Again, I say, good night. Good night. Wonder what they're laughing at. Still on up there in Marjorie's room. 
They've got no business being up at this hour. Darn kids. I don't understand this generation. Haven't they got enough sense to go to bed? Well, I have. <laughs> Themes. Things seem pretty quiet. Oh, my goodness. Mr. Gilsleeve, is that you? Huh? Yes, Bertie, it's me. Has this racket been going on all evening? Yes, sir. I thought they'd quiet down when they went to bed, but I was wrong. Yes, sir, I was really wrong. Uh, have you tried to quiet them, Bertie? No, sir, I haven't. Leroy tried once. What happened? I don't know exactly, but it sounded like a massacre. After that, he locked his door. Hmm. Guess I won't try it. Maybe I'll just... How am I going to get any sleep? I thought about that, Mr. Gilsleeve, so I made up the cot in your study. In my study? That's the worst bed in the house, Bertie. Yes, it is. Take back your thumb, I your thumb, I your Yeah, but I'll sleep in it. <laughs> Good night, Bertie. Try to go to sleep, I guess. Oh, brother, what a bed. Zeef. <laughs> By George. Kicking me out of my own house. My own flesh and blood. Keeping little Leroy awake. Keeping me awake. <laughs> Why are they so quiet all of a sudden? I don't trust a bunch of girls together. Mighty funny. All of a sudden, they're quiet. <laughs> Sound asleep, Uncle Mort. Jim Fortival. Unky, wake up. It's almost noon. Unky, it's a quarter of twelve. A quarter of twelve? What day is it? <laughs> it's Saturday. The girls are all gone. Don't you want some breakfast? Sure. Guess so. <laughs> I'm sorry if we drove you out of the house last night, Unky. What? Oh, yes. Well, if you feel your old uncle is a nuisance. Oh, it wasn't that, Unky. But the girls wouldn't talk while you were around. They did nothing but talk. Jabber, jabber, jabber. All at once. Oh, well, that stuff. But we couldn't tell any secrets while you were there, and that's the only fun. Secrets? Can you imagine what Francie tried to tell us? She claims she's engaged. Francie engaged at her age? It's a secret engagement, according to her. I'll bet it is. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of. Francie engaged. She's only known the boy for two months, for heaven's sake. 
Why, I've known Ben for four years. No, Marcia. Do you know what she had the nerve to imply? She implied that I couldn't get engaged if I wanted to. Just because Ben and I have been going together for so long. Now, don't you be getting any ideas. For heaven's sake, what's so hard about getting engaged? All you have to do is play your cards right. Marjorie, really? Who does she think she is, anyway? I think it'd serve her good and right if somebody showed her up. Now, see here, young lady, you listen to me. What? If this is the kind of ideas you get, there'll be no more pajama parties. Well, I'm not going to let Francie make a fool out of me. I'm not going to let you make a fool of yourself. Oh! Marjorie, come back here. Oh! Oh, confounded, how do you get out of this thing? Now we return to the great Gildersleeve. There has been an atmosphere of tension about the Gildersleeve household this evening. Gildersleeve has watched in silence while Marjorie made preparations to receive a gentleman caller. He pretended to read his paper while she selected phonograph records and laid them carefully beside the machine. He let her pull the couch closer to the fire. He made no comment when she turned the bridge lamp low. But after dinner, she came sweeping downstairs dressed to kill. Well... Marjorie, may I ask what the devil you imagine you're dressed up for? Holy cats, get a load of Cleopatra. Marjorie, your uncle asked you a question. Hey, what have you done to your eyes? Yes, what have you done to them? What is that stuff? It's merely a little simple eyeshadow. I fail to see why there should be all this fuss about... Eyeshadow? Now, see here. Oh, Uncle Mort. No nice girl uses eyeshadow. And no nice boy would go out with a girl who does. I fail to see why using eyeshadow is any worse than using lipstick. I have forbidden you to use lipstick repeatedly. She still does, though. Oh, mind your business. Is this true, my dear? Are you using lipstick? Well, what's the harm if you haven't even noticed? So, you deliberately disobey my orders. Uncle Mort, I am not going to look ridiculous for anybody. You look ridiculous right now. That dress, where did you get that? This just happens to be a dress that you bought me yourself. I never bought you any dress like that. With those shoulders. They're elastic. You just pull them up or pull them down. Well, pull them up. (laughs) Really? I never bought that dress anyway. Marjorie, I don't know what's gotten into you. She thinks she's Lana Turner. Oh, go away. Why, a nice boy like Ben, if he could see you like this, he'd be horrified. You want to bet? (laughs) I'm not going to argue. Go upstairs and change your clothes. Did you hear me? Go upstairs and change your clothes. Leroy, leave the room. I will remind you, my dear, that I am still your uncle. Well, let me remind you, Uncle Mort, that I am not a baby. You never looked more like one in your life. You look like some child dressed up in her mother's clothes. Now go upstairs and take off that ridiculous outfit and take a washcloth and... Ben! It's Ben! Oh, boy, wait, Leroy, wait! Wait, Leroy. Well, my dear, are you going to... Uncle Mort, it's too late. It's not too late. You've never hesitated to keep him waiting before. I'll entertain him while you're changing. Well, are you going to do as I tell you? Oh, why do you always have to ruin everything? Every time I try to do anything or have any fun, you always have... Now, that's not true. All right, Leroy. You can open the door. 
Ben. Well, uh, come in, Ben. Hello, Leroy. Hi, Mr. Gildersleeve. Come in, my boy. Come in. Oh, thanks. Is Marge around? I thought she was expecting me. Boy, is she ever expecting you. You ought to see it. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, she's around. <laughs> yeah, she'll be down in a moment. Leroy, I think it's your bedtime. School tomorrow, you know. Oh, for corn's sake, all I ever get is sent to bed. Why don't you ever make money? Leroy, go this instant. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. These little disciplinary measures are sometimes necessary. I know. Uh, good night, Leroy. Good night. You don't mind my saying good night to him? No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> I always make a point of saying it myself. Good night, Leroy. <laughs> uh, children, let's go into the living room, shall we? Yes, Ben, you'll be having children of your own someday. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Sit down. Thanks. Ben, I'd like to have a little talk with you. All right, sir. When? Well, right now, if you're not doing anything. Just waiting for Marge. Well. Well, that's good. Um, ben? You're sure she's expecting me? Oh, yes, she's expecting you, all right. I thought from the way she talked on the phone, it sounded like she had something on her mind. That's just it. Ben? Yes, sir? I, uh, I don't know how much you know about women, Ben. Well, isn't much. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you know that much. Uh, Marjorie is just a girl, of course, Ben. But uh, she's at the age where she's becoming a woman. You must always bear that in mind. Oh, I do. <laughs> and as a girl becomes a woman, Ben She tends to think more and more of uh, men I guess it works both ways <laughs> Exactly Now, uh, Marjorie is a girl, as I say And uh, girls sometimes get ideas that are too big for them I mean, uh, they get a little ahead of themselves You know? No, sir You don't? <laughs> well, uh, what I'm trying to say, Ben, a girl like Marjorie gets notions sometimes, and... Uh, 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 quiet. Here she comes. Marge? Yeah, I heard a door open upstairs. Don't let her know what we were talking about. Oh, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> hey, come on, let's go out in the hall. Well, my dear, it's about... Well... Hello, Marge. Gosh. Now she's wearing earrings just to make me mad. I tell you, Peavy, the girl is getting out of hand. Why, it's got so now if any friend of hers turns up, the first thing she does is shove me out of the door. Pretty soon I won't have any place to stay. Oh, I imagine Marjorie is really very fond of you, Mr. Gildersleeve. It's uh, just that she's at a difficult age. Yeah, she sure is. Uh, we're all at a difficult age, I guess. I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm not the soul of reason at all times, but then neither is she. Who? 
Mrs. Peavy. <laughs> Who's talking about Mrs. Peavy? Oh, I'm sorry. I guess my mind wandered there for a little. What were we talking? Oh, yes. Your niece. Hmm. Marjorie. Glad you remember her name. <laughs> well, uh, what about Marjorie? I've just been telling you. Peavy, I don't believe you listen to half of what I say. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I only hope you follow your prescriptions more closely than you follow a conversation. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, a prescription is a matter of life and death. But some of the conversation I have to listen to... Well... Oh, uh, not yours. Oh, you're always welcome here, Mr. Gildersleeve. In fact, I, I always look forward to your dropping in as one of the bright spots in my day. That's the kind of a day I have. Well, that's a nice remark. Oh, I, I don't know what's the matter with me today, Mr. Gildersleeve. I, I guess it's just that I have problems. You have problems. You ought to hear about my problems. I thought I had. <laughs> Did you ever have a niece who set out in cold blood to get herself engaged? When you tried to reason with her, she kicked you out of the house? No, Mr. Gildersleeve. I can't say that I ever did. Well, don't talk to me about problems. And did you ever have a wife want to take you to the picture show? And she's been after me for a week now. After all, I'm the girl's guardian. I think I have a right to a little respect. What in the world she wants to see the thing for? To each his own. <laughs> I understand it's a sad picture. Just hope she isn't making a fool of herself with Ben, that's all. I don't know if I can stand this answer to this week. Not worried about Ben, particularly. He's a nice boy, but Marjorie... Uh, by the way, how is Marjorie? She's fine. <laughs> Maybe I'll just stay home and send the old girl to the pictures by herself. <laughs> Never should have left her alone with him. Never should have left the house. I'd give anything to know what's going on over there. I'd give a million dollars just to see what she's up to. Rimsky-Korsakov, don't you? Is that what it is? Song of India, Rimsky-Korsakov. Hey, you, you ought to be on information, please. He also wrote Scheherazade. He was Russian. Oh. I love all his music. It has so much color. So much what? Never mind. I like to lie back and just let the melody take me in its arms. Why don't you lie back too, Ben? I'm perfectly comfortable. But you seem so stiff. Relax. I'm relaxed. Oh, Ben, relax. <laughs> there, that's better, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> Anything you say, Marge. Ben. Oh, there's the record. Oh, don't get up. Uh, but the record, that's the end. Well, let it go. It'll turn itself off. Well, it isn't doing it. Look, I better... Ben, let it go. You want to wear out your record? I don't care about the record, Ben. Oh, okay. It's your record. Ben. Something wrong with that automatic, though. Uh, yeah. Ben, why have you been the way you've been this evening? What way have I been? The way you've been. I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. You've seemed sort of on your guard all evening. I have? Yes. Ben, don't you like me anymore? Like you? 
gosh. Well, then, why do you act so strange? I don't know. I guess I'm kind of buffaloed or something. Why? Well, you're different tonight, Marge. You've changed. Don't you like it? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm being careful. Well, careful of what? Well, if I'm not careful, I might try and kiss you or something. Would that be so terrible? Well, I know a lot of fellas go around kissing girls, but I don't do that way. If I kiss a girl, that means we're engaged, practically. Go ahead and laugh if you want to. I don't feel like laughing, Ben. I feel like crying. What for? Oh, Ben! Hey! Marge, I... I'd better go turn off that machine. Don't worry. I won't ask you to kiss me. Huh? Oh, there's somebody at the front door, Marge. Your uncle, probably. Well, you needn't jump. Goodness knows you haven't done anything. Hey! What's the idea? Where are you going? Say goodnight to Uncle Mort for me. And tell him he needn't worry. I couldn't have been in safer hands. I don't get it. What did I do? Well, anyway, good night. Oh, hi, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, Marjorie gone upstairs, has she? Yeah. Wanted to leave you alone with me, I suppose. I suppose so. I don't know. I don't know what's been going on here, but I think you might at least have turned off the phonograph. Oh, <coughs> I meant to tell you it's busted. The automatic, I mean. I'm not blaming you, Ben. It's Marjorie. She's very careless about certain things. You might as well know that. Yes, sir. Well, let's go into my study, get this thing over. I suppose you have something you want to ask me. Ask you? Well, Ben? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Sit down, my boy. I'll try to make this easy for you. Easy? Ben, don't ever have a niece. No, sir. I'll try not to. Well, let's get to the point. Now, I have nothing against you, Ben. You've always been welcome around here. Always glad to have you around. Well, thanks. But you must realize, Marjorie is still young yet. Oh, I know she's been after you all evening to get engaged. Uh, Girls get those Is ideas. that what she was after? Well, didn't she... Uh, didn't you... Oh, boy, was I dumb. Ben! Gee, thanks, Mr. Gildersleeve. Thanks for the tip. Wait, Ben. Hey, Marge! Marge, come down, will you? Please, I want to talk to you. I want to ask you something. Son of a gun, why can't I ever keep my big mouth shut? Good night, Ben. Marjorie. Well? Well? I suppose you were listening to every word we said. I did nothing of the kind, but I think I have a right to know what's going on here. Marjorie, did Ben... did he... Naturally. I said he would, didn't I? Now listen here. I'm your guardian, and there'll be no engagements around here without my permission. So you can just call it off. Who said I was engaged? But you... you just said that Ben... I told Ben I couldn't possibly think of getting married for at least ten years. After leading him on like that? Marjorie, I don't understand you. I'm going to have a career first. I'm not like Francie. Oh, that's so? Well, and what career have you chosen, my dear? I'm going to be a model. A model? So is Mary Louise, and so is Kay. We all decided we're going to be models. Listen, we'll have no more pajama parties here, understand? Now go to bed. I ask you folks, what gets into girls? 
Now, Marjorie makes a lot of sense by herself. Nice girl, too. When she gets two or three of her friends, I ask you. Well, good night. The Great Gildersleeve is played by Harold Perry. It is written by John Whedon and Sam Moore. The music is by Jack Meekin. Included in the cast are Walter Tetley as Leroy, Louise Erickson as Marjorie, and Lillian Randolph as Bertie. Dick Legrand plays Mr. Peavy. This is John Lang saying goodnight for the Kraft Foods Company and inviting you to listen in again next Wednesday for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. Plenty of rich, velvety smooth ice cream. Any flavor you like always on hand. Sounds swell? It is, and so easy to enjoy when you buy the new craft product called Frizz. F-R-I-Z-Z. Yes, Frizz makes delicious homemade ice cream right in your refrigerator. Real ice cream with plenty of milk and cream in it. Just add water, a little sugar, and freeze according to directions on the package. Made by an exclusive process that retains that fresh cream flavor, it freezes smoothly, gives you six generous servings from one package of Frizz. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was The Great Gildersleeve from November the 6th, 1946. And the name of that one was The Pajama Party. Now, if you had an older sister and she had friends over that had a pajama party, you know that that could just about drive you crazy when you're a 13-year-old boy. (laughs) You know what's crazy is uh, around here, at least in in the St. Louis area, or out where I live in the, uh, or we live out in the suburbs, It's very common for the elementary schools to have pajama dates. And I work with the school some, and it just always amazes me that uh, they have days where the kids come to school in their pajamas. Now, I know there's got to be rules on (laughs) making sure that there's no open flaps and uh, you have proper uh, underwear on and that sort of thing. But but nonetheless, uh, kids come to school in, in their pajamas. Now, when I was a kid, I used to have a nightmare about that. Did you ever have that nightmare, Chester? Yes, yes. You, I would dream that I would get to school and all of a sudden realize I forgot to get dressed. And, and I'd be in my pajamas. Oh, go figure. Did you ever hear of frizz ice cream? Craft frizz? I do not remember that. So I looked it up. It came in a glass bowl. It looked like sort of a Pyrex, a white bowl with red lettering on the outside. It, and and here, here's the crazy part. I found a website that was selling an unopened package of Frizz ice cream mix. Yeah, my lovely wife tells me that uh, when you're selling something like that, it's much more valuable if it's never been opened. Well, I can understand that on some things, but on a food item like that, that kind of gives me the creeps. But here's one. It says, up for auction, a vintage can of Kraft Frizz ice cream. This has never been opened, and you just add water to make the ice cream. It has directions on the package. I'm no expert, (laughs) this person says. I'm just trying to describe the item the way I see it. Oh, man. That's strange, but I, I, I bet it wasn't very good. Otherwise, it would still be around, right? 
Frizz uh, Ice Cream by Kraft. We'll have more episodes of The uh, Great Gildersleeve coming up in the weeks ahead. That really was a good show. It was a very good show. One of the great things about The Great Gildersleeve, I might mention, is that uh, there was a lot of continuous storylines, and the kids and the family grew up as the show went on. So you really got to feel like you, you were part of the family. music means it's time for Gunsmoke, everybody. What do you know about cattle branding or cattle stealing? Well, you're going to get a less than a little bit of both tonight in um, an episode of Gunsmoke that is entitled Fall Semester. It was first broadcast on CBS on the 30th of May in 1953. It's a good one. The sound quality on this is certainly sufficient to hear it. It's not quite as crystal clear as we like on some of these episodes of Gunsmoke, especially the ones from the uh, uh, old 53, 54, 55 right in there. Most of the ones we have are just really great. But this is absolutely, I promise you, the best uh, you're going to get on this episode. And it's this is an episode we have not played on Boomer Boulevard before. So I hope you enjoy it. From 1953, this is fall semester on Gunsmoke. Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
I've been thinking. Yeah? We ought to renovate this place. What? Renovate it? Uh, oh, blast it, Chester. What's the matter? Oh, nothing, nothing. I, I was trying to write and listen to you at the same time. That's all. It can't be done. Well, Marshal. Yeah, what's the matter, Lee? I'm drunk. <laughs> well, he was walking. I thought he'd been shot. No, I'm not shot. I never saw you drunk before, Lee. Well, would you like a little coffee or something? Yeah. There's my gun. Now lock me up. What? Lock me up, I said. What, you, you mean you want to sleep in jail here? I do. You keep my gun. Are there any blankets out there, Chester? Well, there's one, Mr. Dillon. Oh, no, that's enough. Okay, Lee. Just follow Chester. Then. I will. Marshal, I come here to prevent a killer. Oh? I'm drunk enough to want to kill him, and I'm sober enough to know I'm too drunk to kill him. You understand? To kill who, Lee? Jim Salter. That's who. My foreman. Is he in town, too? He is, at the Texas Trail. And let him stay there. Keep him out of here. I'm going to bed. Right in there, Mr. Right Dargan. Right there I never saw Mr. Dargan like that before, Mr. Dillon. No. I wonder what he was fighting with Salter about. Maybe Salter started it. Maybe he's drunk, too. Well, if he is, knowing him, he'll be after someone else to fight with now. I think I'll go take a look, Chester. All right, sir. Oh, Chester, if uh, Lee wakes up, just uh, give him another drink, huh? Yes, sir. alone isn't so bad, Matt, sometimes. Oh. Buy you a drink? No, thanks. I don't see Jim Salter anywhere. I wouldn't complain about that. Well, then he was here, huh? Sitting right where you are, and he'll be back any minute. How drunk is he, Kitty? Well, he isn't very drunk. It might be an improvement. <laughs> It'd break his heart to hear you talk like that. If he has one. Here he comes now. Let's ask him. He looks sober enough. You move in fast, Marshal. Sit down, Salter. Sit down. Since it's how it's my table, I will. I, uh, ran into Lee Dorgan. He was pretty mad about something. That so? Yeah. But it's all right, as long as you're not looking for trouble. Me, Marshal? I never look for trouble. Neither does Lee. Now, you know those Southerners, Marshal. They're always getting insulted about something. You've been foreman on Lee's ranch for over a year now, Salter. This the first time he's wanted to kill you? <laughs> Is that what he said? That's what I heard him say. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Marshal Lee's had a little bad luck with his cattle, that's all. He's had a drink or two. He needs someone to blame it on. You know how it is with these greenhorns. No. How is it? If it weren't for me, he wouldn't have as many cows as he's got. Now he's lost a few strays, he's all upset. Well, as long as it doesn't end in gunplay. Oh, me and Lee get along fine when he's sober. Yeah. You have to leave, Matt? I'm afraid so, Kitty. Then I'm going to bed. Hey, wait a minute. You can't do that. Who says I can't, mister? Good night, Matt. <laughs> Good night, Kitty. Well, I'll be. nice of you, Chester, to bring me all that coffee. Oh, don't mention it, Mr. Dargan. I had a hangover once myself. Now here's your gun, Lee. Thank you, Marshal. You, uh, still feel like killing Jim Salter? I'll kill any man that cheats me. That's how I was brought up, and that's how I am. So? I guess it's just instinct that tells me I'm being robbed by Marshal. I got no proof at all, none whatsoever. What is it, Lee? Don't your cattle tally upright? Look, I came out here from Alabama 18 months ago. I bought a ranch. I'm trying to raise beef. I've learned a little, but I can see it takes years to be a cattleman. Meantime, I'm green and I'm an easy mark, but I'm not so dumb I can't count. Marshal, I branded over 300 calves last spring and fall, and more than half of them are missing right now. Stolen? I don't know, Marshal. I've asked every rancher and every buyer around here to be on the lookout for my brand that hasn't turned up once. Well, why do you think Salter has anything to do with it? Instinct, I told you. I just don't trust him. Nothing more, but it's enough. Well, then why don't you fire him? Uh, pride, I suppose. I want to beat him at his own game, whatever it is. Well, good luck at it, Lee. Well, I need more than luck, Marshal. I, I, I need a little help. I just don't know enough about this business. Are you asking me to help you? I am. But how? Come out to the ranch. Take a look around. Maybe you'll see something I can't see. Well, I don't know. We're that Brandon can... again tomorrow, Marshal. Come out then. You, you've got to help me. I've been... I'll be ruined if this goes on anymore. All right, Lee, I'll come. But uh, will you promise me one thing? What's that? If Salter does prove to be guilty, you won't try to kill him? No, I can't promise that. I respect the law, Marshal, but I got my own code, too. Thanks, just... Now, a wait a minute, Lee. You're stubborn, but I don't think you deserve being ruined. All right, I'll come. Thank you, Marshal. Thank you. You know, the reason I got drunk last night was because I just felt so almighty helpless. Mad and helpless. Yeah. I know the feeling. See you tomorrow.
Good morning, Marshal Dillon. Good morning, Mr. Peters. And what can I do for you this morning? Well, uh, I'm interested in some brands that you got mm-hmm. registered here. Oh, you don't mean to tell me that you're going into the cattle business, Marshal? <laughs> no, not likely. I just want to see what new brands have been registered in the past, oh, 12 or 13 months. Well, certainly, certainly, Marshal. Uh, let's see, 1865, 67, 68, 68, 68. Yeah, here it is. There you are. There you are. That's the official brand book for the last two years, Ah, uh, thank you. You can start anywhere you like in it. Well, uh, maybe you remember, Mr. Peters. Mm-hmm. Has Jim Salter got a brand registered? Mm, Salter? Yeah, Jim Salter. The fellow who works for Lee Doggins? That's right. Yeah. Um, last summer. July, I believe. Look there. July? Mm-hmm. Yeah, July, 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 July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah here it is. Yeah? Uh, Salter, James Salter, July 14th, Bar S. That's it, Bar S, yes, indeed. How's he doing? Uh, fine, Mr. Peters, fine. Uh, thanks for the help. Oh, anytime, Marshal, anytime at all. That's what I'm paid for. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, Marshal. <laughs> We weren't working. Most of the cattle buyers in town spent their time drinking toddy and telling lies at the Dodge House. And there I learned that a number of Bar S calves had been sold in the fall and some more of them in the spring. They remembered because it wasn't often a man sold only calves and also because the brands were newly burned on. But they said the brands were clean and there was no question of any previous marking having been altered. I figured Salter was a whole lot smarter than the ordinary rustler. And the next day, I found out just how smart. They sure got their branding fire set far enough apart, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, they have. Here's Jim Salter now, with this first fire. I will stop and say hello, Chester. All right. Oh. All right, let him go, boys. That's interesting. What is? I'll tell you later. Now, you don't have to stop work just because we're here, Soldier. That's all right, Marshal. Yeah, but you didn't brand that one. You'll just have to cut him out and rope him again. Iron's cold anyway. Oh, you got another iron there in the fire. We'll get him branded, Marshal. What are you doing out there anyway? Oh, we needed a change of scenery, so we thought we'd pay Lee a visit. Where is he? Working the fire down yonder. You sure do keep your fire separated. Anything else you fellas object to? Well, no, I wasn't objecting. I was just making an entirely impersonal observation, that's all. Well, go do your observing on Lee. You came to see him. Salter, I'd starve plumb to death before I'd ever work around you. You sure would, Chester. Come on, Jim. Wasting time. See you later, Marshal. Yeah. Okay, Adams, bring another one out. Okay. Yeah. He's smart, that Salter. 
me. He's just mean and downright graceless. At least that too, Chester. Oh? You got something figured out, Mr. Dillon? I got it all figured out. What? Salter's stealing cattle, all right. I know just how he's doing it. But the problem now is how to handle Lee Dorgan and that code of his. I wouldn't want to see Lee hung for murder. No, sir. I surely wouldn't either. Hello. Hi, Marshal. Hold it, man. How are you, Marshal? Chester? Fine, Lee. About through for the day. Why don't you ride on down to the house? Okay. I'll be along directly. Uh, we stopped by Salter's fire back there. Oh, how are they doing? Fine. Uh, tell me something, Lee. Does Salter always work alone with those same two cowboys? Yeah, come to think of it, he does. Why? I was just curious. We'll see you at the house, Lee. Sure, Marshal. Tell the cook I'll string him up. Supper isn't ready when we get there. <laughs> All right, I'll do that. Mr. Dargan's got here, Mr. Dillon. That's fine. Let's sit on the porch here, Chester. They'll be along soon. Yes, sir. <sighs> Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I've give up trying to figure it out about Salter. You'll just have to explain it. Well, I told you he sold fresh branded calves under the Bar S mark that he's got registered. Yes, sir. Well, those were Lee's calves. Did you ever hear of using a cold brand, Chester? A cold brand? Yeah. You can either put it on through a wet blanket or you can just keep the iron hot enough to burn hair and press it down lightly so it won't scorch the hide. Yeah. Looks like a fine brand for a few months. That is, until the calf sheds. Well, I'll be doggone. And then the calf's as unmarked as the day it got dropped. You can brand it at leisure with any mark that appeals to you, like a bar S, for example. So that's what Salter's been doing. He was about to put a cold iron on that calf a while ago when we rode up. Sure, sure. He works at a distance from Dorgan because the other cowboys had noticed right away what he's up to. Ah, poor Lee. He's sure right about being green at this business. Well, he's going to learn now, Mr. Dillon. No. No, Chester, I can't tell him. Well, why not? Lee meant it when he said he'd kill Salter if he had any proof. And if he did that, he'd be worse off than he is now. Well, then why don't you just arrest that man? Yeah, the judge would let him off, I'm afraid. Cold brand can be laid to carelessness. Of course, we could wait a couple of months and catch him doing his bar S branding. That's risky, too, though. Well, what are you going to do, Mr. Dillon? I don't know, Chester. But I'll have to figure something out by morning. Understand it, Marshal. Just doesn't make any sense to me, but I asked for help, so all right, I'll do as you say. Then call Salter over here and tell him. Okay, Marshal. Salter? Salter? Yeah? Come over here. 
What do you want, Lee? We're already late this morning. I'm going to make a change in our branding setup, Salter. What? I've decided it'll be faster from now on. We all work from one fire instead of two. What for? You and Adams and Smith will work alongside the rest of us. That's all. Whose idea is this, anyway? Those are my orders. Oh? You still talk like a Confederate colonel, don't you? That'll do, Salter. Sure. This is for you, Marshal. I never did like you anyway. It must have been pretty hard on Salter that day, having to put a permanent brand on Lee Dorgan's calves with a good hot iron. But he had no choice, and he did it. About noon, Chester and I said goodbye and rode back to Dodge. I figured that'd be the end of Lee's trouble. But two nights later, while Doc and I were taking our ease at the Alifraganza, I found out I was wrong. Yeah, it's like that ignorant cowboy got a letter from his sweet girlfriend in St. Louis, Matt. <laughs> well, all right, Doc, what did the letter say? Oh, well, she mentioned that she'd found a nice room with running water. Yeah. <laughs> running water. Uh, and so this uncivilized son of the prairie wrote her back to get rid of that Indian at once or our engagement is off. <laughs> he thought that... Uh, rather raw, uh, you understand that now, don't you, Matt? Because... Uh, <laughs> well, that the next drink's on you, Doc. Sure, Matt, sure. And when you get it, ask the bartender for a couple of good cigars. I really, as soon you? as I finish, I won't say that was a fun... <laughs> Uh-oh, I thought you left Lee Dargan out at his range. What? Just came in the door. Must be looking for you. He's coming this way, man. Yeah. Uh-oh. What's that under his arm? Oh, looks like a blanket. Uh, hello, Lee. Sit down. Marshal. Doc. Oh, how are you, Lee? What are you doing in town? Are you all through, Brandon? Yeah, we're through. Oh, how'd it go? Yeah. Take a look at this blanket, Marshal. Huh? It's all marked up, isn't it? It sure is. And it's burned with my brand all over. Where'd you find this, Lee? One of my men was riding by the place where Salter and his had his branding fire, Marshal. His horse kicked it up. He'd half buried it there. And he showed it to you, is that it? That's it. And he explained all about coal branding to me at the same time. I see. Where's Salter now, Lee? And he got wind. I was on to him and left, Marshal. I think he's in Dodge with those two who worked with him, Adams and Smith. And uh, you're looking for him? And I'm looking for him. But I'm telling you so you can look, too. That blanket's enough evidence even for the law, I figure. Along with the witnesses that would convict him. But uh, I'll find him, Lee. Better hurry, Marshal. I might find him first. Lee. You'll stand trial if you kill him. I'm not worried about that. So long, Martha. Why didn't you take his gun, Matt? So as he couldn't get in any trouble. He'd just find another one, Doc. He's a mighty determined man. Yes, I can see that. I'll uh, take that drink another time, Doc. I got work to do. Sure, sure, Matt. Oh, do me a favor. Will you drop this blanket off at the office for me? Oh, you bet your life I will. Good luck. Yeah, thanks.
Mr. Dillon. Yeah, what is it, Chester? There's something wrong, sir. I just saw Salter and two men walk up behind Lee Dargan over there and grab his gun. What? Well, where are they? They were headed toward Kelly's stable. I thought I'd better find you first. Come on. What are they doing in Dodge, anyway? Uh, Lee's on to him, Chester. He knows the whole story now. And they know he knows it. Well, then somebody's going to get killed, sure. Yeah, it looks that way. All right. Stay behind me, Chester. That's the only door to the stable. They'll have to come out there, sir. Yeah, I know. But we're going in after them. Easy now. The entrance to Kelly's stable was open. But there was no light showing. Chester and I stepped quickly around the frame of the door. Then we stopped just inside. Waiting for our eyes to get used to the darkness. We could hear voices in the back where the men were saddling up. And then, suddenly, we both saw it at the same time. The first doll, Mr. Dillon. Look. Yeah. It's Mr. Dargan. They hung him. Yeah, they just did it. He can't be dead yet. Here, take my knife and cut him down. You can climb up on the feed box. I'll cover you from here now. Hurry. Yes, sir, I'll hurry. Chester, don't move. Mr. Darkin's breathing. When they come up, we'll jump them. I'll take Adams. Now, quiet now. I don't see him. Rope must have broke. Yeah. Let's hit him on the head and have done with him. Yeah, well. You do it, Smith. I'll wait here. Yeah, okay, I'll see if You all right, Chester? Yes, sir. Good. Now keep low. What's going on up there? Adam? Smith? Darkin's coming too now. He's breathing easier. Keep him quiet. Hold him down if he tries to get up. Salter will be along in a minute. Yes, sir. What are you two doing? Answer me, bless you. Who's in there? Throw down your gun, Salter. Who's that? It's Matt Dillon. Now do as I say. off of Adams and Smith. We don't have to worry about Salter. All right, sir. Lee? Lee, how are you? Uh, good to breathe again, Marshal. I was 
about gone. Well, you're all right. We got him. And Salter's dead. You won't have any trouble now. No, no. But it's not easy the way you people educate a man out here. Well, if it was easy, Lee, anyone could manage. Well, thanks, Marshal. Yeah, sure. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John McIntyre as Lee, Harry Bartell as Salter, and John Daner as Peters. Parley Bear as Chester, Georgia Ellis as Kitty, and Howard McNair as Doc. That was Gunsmoke. The name of that episode was Fall Semester, and it was first broadcast on the 30th of May in 1953. As always, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke next time we get together. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Well, we're all out of time, so I'm just going to bug on out of here. Chester is already wrapping things up. In fact, he's headed for the door. So let me just say that this is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.